and welcome to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Fionn Davis. In this podcast, we're diving back into Kilimanjaro Diaries. This is part two of the two-part series, and you may remember that we left part one on a little bit of a cliffhanger, pun intended, as myself and fellow medic on the mountain, Dr. Francis Screech, were about to attempt Barranco War and to make our summit attempt also. So let's dive back into the action as we listen to my thoughts and feelings recorded in a voice memo on the mountain about Barranco Wall and the summit attempt. Um, so then we had the next day, which actually I think was a bit of a highlight for us, wasn't it? It was um, yeah, quite fun. We loved it. Going up the Barranco Wall. Um, oh, if you've got a bit of an outdoorsy bit of an outdoorsy bone in your body then definitely the Barranco Wall I think is a highlight a bit of a bit more technical and fun isn't it yeah right okay let's hear about it let's see what I've got to say uh, Barranco to Barafu camp so we start in the morning nice and early as always 5 30 wake up and we climb Barranco Wall just a really cool little scrambly bit um Lots of hands involved, lots of cool footwork, kind of polished rock in places, quite steep, quite vertical. And it was quite a challenge for people who had a problem with heights, um, but they managed to do it. So really proud of everyone. And we had a really nice view at the top. We had to move super slow because it was so vertical um, and we were all struggling to catch our breath. We then had a little bit of up and down, kind of undulating ascent and descent across sort of alpine desert um, before we got to Karanga camp, uh, which is where we had lunch. And normally in the seven-day Machama route, you would stop at the Karanga camp and you would stay a night and acclimatise. We didn't do this. We carried on to Barafu base camp, uh, which is where we were going to start our summit night from. And I think in retrospect, it would have been quite nice to have a seven-day route and to have a little bit more time to acclimatise. Um, the climb up to Karanga was quite steep. Um, it's quite a sort of 20-minute incline before we get up to Karanga, which is about 4,600, I think, in total. I mean, I think we can talk around um, when to send somebody down, essentially, because mm. I think, didn't you have to send somebody down? Was it this day? Or? I did, yeah. So I did send somebody down, and I... Oh, I think that was one of the bits that I was most dreading. So um, I try to, I think this is one of the bits I find hardest of medicine as well. I naturally am a people pleaser or try to be. And I think telling someone that they couldn't ascend um, on something that they'd, especially our group, because they'd had the same as yours, had been waiting since pre-COVID to go on this adventure, then uh, to tell them they needed to go down was something I was dreading. And he, so my chap, and it sounds quite similar to yours, to be honest, but was, he'd had a thumping headache um, for most of the day. And we'd been trying sort of um, paracetamol, ibuprofen. Um, I'd been very strict on his fluid. So sort of upwards of four to five litres. Um, and then he still, when he got there, he went to have a very sensible rest and he still felt rubbish so I went to go and see him and he um he had sats again sats in the low 70s lots of features of um now severe AMS uh, and he was also quite tachycardic so I said to him he needed to go down and to be honest it wasn't the response I was expecting I was expecting maybe a bit of a, a battle or him to be incredibly upset but I think it was by that point he did feel pretty unwell so it was actually relief and um, because the joy of altitude medicine is that you can usually pretty much promise people that once they've descended lots of these things are going to get better which obviously lots of medicine that's a much slower process but they make such huge um, recoveries with yeah. sort of a few hundred meters yeah. of descent don't they? So um, I'm not... <laughs> I, I am still young and green, but uh, when I was younger and greener, um, I made an attempt on Mont Blanc and uh, got, I would say, probably moderate AMS. I uh, wasn't quite throwing up, but I had a very pretty bad headache mm. um, that wasn't getting better with painkillers. And um, I remember the feeling as we started going down mm. of feeling better 
every single step I took down the mountain. Wow. I started feeling better. I was like, this That's is amazing. getting easier. This is getting better. My head's, my head's feeling better. It is magical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's I find that that's actually quite reassuring I I think that is one of the the horrible ascent profile for Kilimanjaro one of the few kind of positives of that is it means that it's very easy to lose a lot of altitude quite quickly if you need to get somebody down isn't it whereas um, other places like the Alps the Himalayas it's often not that easy if there's a long traverse or something um, then to get down substantial altitude can be really hard and i remember a lot of the camps have got sort of shortcuts down haven't they like mm. it's kind of a kind of a loop that you do around so you get up to shira camp and then you do a sort of circuit round to barafu and then you kind of summit from barafu but mm. um they've all kind of got little shortcuts down that you can send people down if you need to um mm. and so yeah then this the decision to send somebody down is quite hard i think but if it's not getting better uh, after a bit of rest or after some painkillers and if it might you know my particular person was already on double diamox so there was really mm. limited stuff I could do from there um then you kind of have to tell them to go down but I yeah. think it's quite nice if you can make it a joint decision so absolutely you can a bit of shared decision making I try and do I this completely agree as well. but yeah you yeah can tell them tell, this is the situation this is what I think is going to happen um you know what, what are your thoughts do you, you want to continue do you not want to continue you know what where, where is your head at sort of thing because often I think as well um like you said people are quite relieved when you say right you're you're medically advised to mm. go down because it's not yeah. giving up it's no. not saying yeah exactly I couldn't I couldn't do it couldn't make it I was told to go down by the doctor it's it's kind of an out yeah it is an out isn't it and it's almost um even though you're involving them I found they want some degree of the kind of old school paternalistic healthcare where um, a decision is being slightly, it's made with them, but also maybe aspects of it taken out of their hands where you say, you know, this, it actually isn't safe for you to ascend anymore. Um, I think for anyone listening who hasn't, is imminently going to some of the big mountains, I, um, that, discussion i think it's really important even though there isn't a lot of privacy on expeditions i think you should have that discussion i find it very useful to have the tent mates leave uh, because there's a lot of kind of motivation and this was a fundraising attempt and things and there's lots of all for one one for all and i think uh making sure that the decision is being made with that person about what's right for them without anybody around them that could affect that decision, i.e. make them feel uh, sort of guilty or that they should carry on. I don't think it's helpful unless they really want their friend there um, to have anybody else around because it's quite a kind of sensitive thing for them, I find. And that's really good advice, I think. Um, and e equally, I've had it the other way around where people are actually medically okay to carry on <laughs> but come to you because they want you to tell them that they need to go down yeah. but, and then at that point it's a different conversation because you're like no actually you know from a medical perspective you're fine uh you can keep going up <laughs> <laughs> up you go <laughs> keep going yeah but it's uh a carrot and stick isn't it sometimes <laughs> yeah um and yeah again like informing people of the possible consequences of sending and stuff and i think i mentioned in that you know your headache's gonna get worse you might start vomiting you might get seizures mm. my classic line is like people are like okay what's the worst case scenario and i'm like seizures coma death <laughs> <laughs> well they asked you didn't they and they got the answers yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. i mean it's true it's true um, I also have written on my my little list of notes from this camp. Um, I don't know if this was something your group shared, but by this point, there was a few people, I'm going to say, also including myself, who hadn't pooed. So I had a queue of very constipated um, group members who... Um, I had really well, I'd kind of prepared the medical kit very well, assuming, you know, big mountain in Africa, um, I'd thought diarrhea, but I hadn't thought that constipation was likely to be a major issue. Um, so I had, I think, two or three sachets of Movicol, um, and I'd used two of them on somebody who still hadn't pooed, and this was a disaster. I was like, I've got one more sachet of Movicol, and lots of people who haven't pooed, including myself. So... Um, I had to 
I think we talked about it, but I had to recommend, you know, we were already doing exercise and I didn't want to send people sprinting at altitude. So I had to suggest, you know, lots of veg, which luckily you can do on Killy, uh, lots of fresh fruit. And because it's such a high carb diet, I basically told them that they shouldn't really have carbs and they needed to drink even more than normal uh, and then have it's loads of strong thing, coffees. Telling, you, telling your group to drink so much water, like four to five litres a day. Blimey. I know, exactly. And then strong coffee and it worked. It worked. And I'm glad oh, to say God. everybody everybody pooed that day and it felt like a huge win. It was honestly, it was playing on my mind, the, uh, the thought that I'd had this group of people and I was thinking I can't be the medic that evacuates people from Kilimanjaro because they haven't had a poo. But, <laughs> but it was it was all all was okay in the end. Coffee saved the day. I remember you coming into my uh, my little medical tent and you're like, Fionn, how many sashes of mother coffee got? <laughs> <laughs> like, it was just oh, constipation was not on my radar. No, no. Well yeah, it just must be a combination of the diet and maybe like a little bit of dehydration, something like that. But I, I was saying to you earlier that you know coffee so. is an essential component to any expedition. Also, for this reason, it's a pretty good laxative. Just get some strong, strong yeah. coffee. Get that down you. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. And remember the toilet. Really help the heart rate. Oh yeah, <laughs> really help the heart rate. <laughs> uh, I remember the toilets being a bit grim in pretty much most of the toy most of the camps actually. But I mean, they were. Mm. You know, you complain so much because they had a roof, they had four walls. Um, a hole in the ground that you squatted over and even if there was mm. a seat i'm not sure you particularly wanted to sit on it um it's a no. sort, of, sort of squat and hover situation um it's true and yeah it was pretty it's pretty grim there was literally piss and shit up the walls and i was like oh there was this is amazing like it exists though in terms yeah, of amazing um, camp hygiene <clears throat> yes and like i had to keep reminding my group all the time about alcohol gel like take it to the toilet yeah before you eat like after you eat and after you go to the toilet you know even before you go to the toilet in those places they were grim um yeah i used to get mine uh to all if people were walking back from the loo or uh they just had a wee against a rock or something they would all uh they'd all sort of offer or say have you washed your hands and i was by the end of it i thought that's actually really good it's really really useful it's so they've been so indoctrinated into washing their hands that they're now monitoring each other for hand washing for the <laughs> overall good of the group yeah and you can make it a bit of a joke too can't you you can yeah. be a little bit naggy but like make yeah. it a little bit of a joke um and i actually had the opposite problem i think in my group on this day and that like a few people started developing diarrhea um and it's pretty pretty exciting uh so you hadn't nicked all our mother coal had you <laughs> no i don't think <laughs> i had <laughs> Um, but yeah, funny how we had, we had very different problems in the gas yeah, and we did. department. Um, <laughs> yeah. A lot about bowel movements on this. I know, we are medics, already. it's fine. Yeah, we're we completely comfortable with this stuff, aren't we? Uh, cool, yeah, and then we went up to Karanga on that. Oh yeah, Baranko Wall, so much fun. So good! I loved it. There was lots of, um, yeah, there was lots of people who weren't used to um, exposure, because it is quite exposed that bit, and there was a few tears, but again, the group were just... Yeah, they were amazing. They were really motivating each other. And there was a lot of kind of mutual support. And I even people who weren't necessarily sort of best of friends when we were walking along the flat were really supporting each other. And that's such a nice thing to witness, isn't it? It's a big achievement for them, too. If they're not good with height to, to be able to do that, it's really. And I remember <laughs> it's not helped by the fact that you've got porters in flip flops running past you with like <laughs> huge bundles on their head, like running up this scramble that everybody's kind of, you know, a bit nervous about. Um, they are truly amazing human beings, aren't they? The porters. Incredible. Nobody would. Well, I wouldn't have got up Kelly without porters. No. Nope. No, if I was carrying my. I, so, for anyone who maybe hasn't been to Kitty, you don't carry your full rucksack. Uh, there's usually a porter who carries your full rucksack and you carry a day sack sort of thing. Um, so, you're not carrying an awful lot of weight. And I'm not ashamed to say, even on the summit day, I was super struggling and I was feeling like I was going to puke at any second. And the porter offered to take my day sack off me. And I was like, yes, please, mate. Thank you very much. Take that. Um, so, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's they are amazing. They 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 mm. get us up and down that mountain. They do, correct. Um, so then we go to Karanga Camp, um, and I remember I haven't put this in the voice memo, but I remember I had a porter who had tonsillitis and who came mm. to me, and I sort of had a quick look in his throat and definite you know, tonsillitis, and sort of said he'd had a sore throat for a few days and a fever, um, and I gave him some antibiotics out of the medical kit. 
Nice. Now, I'd been told, I think, that some companies were a little bit funny about using the mm. medical kit for porters because uh, yeah. they sort of said, oh, no, it's only for the participants. Um, had you sort of heard that too? I had. I I imagine you might feel similar, but I feel, yeah, even if that was the kind of ethos of the company you're working for, I think, um, the as you just said, these are the people that get you up the mountain. So I think you've got a... Um, a moral obligation anyway and just a general being a you know a member of the human race that if you have the stuff to make somebody feel better and they're supporting your um, trip up Killy then I definitely would always treat them I think exactly as you did is yeah, that your and, your thoughts yeah I had no hesitations about treating it mm, I think any any company that says we shouldn't be treating the support staff I, I don't think they're probably companies that I'd want to work for absolutely all right, so we go. We don't stop at Karanga. You, some people, some groups do stop at Karanga for a night, and we carried. Yeah, we just got food, food, didn't we? Yeah, we got some food, got some lunch, yeah. and then we cracked on up to Barafu. But then I think I say in that that maybe it would have been nice to stay a night there just for a little bit of extra acclimatization. Yeah. Um, an extra day could make a difference, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so it's we, interesting, isn't it? Because you're also thinking like, get me off this mountain, but also you are. Yeah, I think maybe thinking that less if you weren't quite so exhausted. Yeah, um, and I remember thinking, you know, I hadn't showered in like four days at this point and I'm caked in dust and sweat. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's only going to get worse from here. So, yeah. you know, the, uh, the baby wipes are only doing so much. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the longer you spend out on the mountain, the longer you're at altitude. Yeah, it's a bit of a trade-off, isn't it? But, you know, I think um, I probably would prefer to maybe do a slightly longer route next time. Mm, yeah, I, I agree. So we get up to Barafu, which is called the base camp uh, mm -hmm. for the summit. And there is one camp slightly higher than Barafu, which is very small. And I think you need a little special permit for. Uh, but most people will start their summit night from uh, Barafu camp. Um, right, so dive in here and see what see what my well, thoughts hey. were on summit night, Barafu and summit night. And as you said, so yeah, we we get there. You only get about two or three hours sleep because I think you go to bed at about nine and you get up at midnight, don't you? Yeah. So I remember saying to you, <laughs> it was devastating news. We were a very slow group. We were told, um, which is yeah, I'd probably <laughs> probably agree with. And they said usually we'd set off at midnight, but because everyone's so slow or because yeah some people were so slow uh we're gonna set off at half 10 <laughs> which meant that we had about oh, no. maybe i don't know what time dinner finished maybe seven so we had about two hours well an hour and a half to to nap <laughs> i remember thinking oh no um but I somehow sorry somehow i fell asleep I remember gleefully telling my group that the other group was so slow they had to start early that we were the first <laughs> know <laughs> such a such a competition isn't it <laughs> always um okay so let's see what i was thinking at this point so we've come down from kilimanjaro um after summit night which was day five um where we went from barafu camp started at midnight with about three hours of sleep uh, Barafu is about 4,600 and we had the longest, most horrible, cold, never-ending slog at snail's pace, poly-poly pace, up hundreds and hundreds of switchbacks, steep, steep hill um, with about 1,200 metres of ascent. Um, which took us about eight hours or so um, and was honestly the worst night of my life. Um, we were stopping about once every hour for about five minutes and you could only really stop for about five minutes um, before your feet started to freeze and your hands started to freeze. Um, you just had to get as much water down you and snacks down you as you could at that point. Um, it was really hard to eat because just felt really sick. Ended up taking some ondansetron and had a headache as well by about hour three or four. So took some paracetamol and ibuprofen, um, which seemed to help quite a lot. And the ondansetron helped a lot as well. 
um, really struggled with being able to actually get myself enough water and food in breaks um, because I was finding that every time we had a break, they would ask me to just go and have a quick look at somebody. Um, and then by the time I'd finished doing that, the break was over and it was time to move on. So having quick access, easy to open and things that don't freeze snacks was essential. Um, my camelback froze and couldn't be, couldn't use it. My Nalgene bottles started to freeze, um, but didn't freeze all the way through. So could still get that open. So I had about a liter or so in that, but then struggled to close it because the ice formed around the top. Um, it was just a matter of a mental battle, um, slogging uphill, just putting one foot in front of the other and just telling yourself that you didn't want to go down, you didn't want to turn around, that you wanted to get to the summit um, and just waiting for the next break. The turning point, I think, in that night was seeing the sunrise. It started to come up over the horizon and it started to feel like there might be a little bit of a chance of us actually getting to the top. Um... I was just staring at my feet, putting one foot in front of the other, literally toe to heel. Just couldn't move my feet any further than that. The headlamp was doing weird things to my vision where it like I would get lightheaded or dizzy if I turned my head too quickly and I was just staring at the feet in front of me. I was trying to keep an eye on the people in front of me who were sometimes falling asleep whilst they were walking. Um, staggering about the place so sometimes had to sort of just put an arm out keep them in a straight line and then that becomes really difficult to tell whether they're actually ataxic or whether they're just sleepwalking and the same with hallucinations are they dreaming because they're asleep and walking or are they properly hallucinating things as they're going up and quite a few actually said they did but they didn't mention it to me at the time unfortunately and one girl see dead body of one of her teammates great um had another see faces in the rocks another was seeing animals in the rocks again just don't know if these are like dreams or hallucinations just really hard to tell my sort of cut off point was whether or not they had a headache and were vomiting because i think if you were going to get severe haste then you needed to have a headache and be vomiting as well as having hallucinations so when we got up to stellar point um most of the team were pretty drained, very drained, and were very pleased to see the top of Stella Point. Um, we had a very quick break, and then we could see the summit from there. So we had a little push along a ridge around the edge of the crater rim uh, to get to Uhuru Peak. And that was described as being a lot easier than what we'd done. Stella Point was sort of the tough bit up to Stella Point. But um, I think... It was harder than I expected because I was so short of breath. Um, I've never been so short of breath in my life. Like, just panting with absolute minimal exertion. Um, moving so, so slowly and still having to stop and catch my breath every sort of 10, 20 metres, something like that. And the summit just did not seem to be getting any closer. Um... It was a very, my chest was so tight, chest pain, a little bit dizzy, a little bit lightheaded. Felt like my heart was going about 180 most of the way along that summit ridge. Um, and then finally made it to the summit. I think pretty much everyone else was taking Diamox. Um, and then on the way down, the groups all split up at this point into sort of four or five different little sections and I tried to stick with the sort of biggest group um, and keep an eye on all of them. When everybody got back down, we had some food, we had some rest and just checked in with everybody to see if they were okay, if they needed anything. And we proceeded on down to high camp, uh, which is about 4,000, no, I think it was 3,000. 800, something like that. So all in all, we had a 15-hour day of walking and we started at midnight and we didn't finish until about 4 p.m. So it was a really, really, really long day. Um, 
and I was really struggling um, at points and that was definitely the hardest thing that I've ever done and combined with the fact that I had to look after other people as well as look after myself um, it was really difficult I'm really proud of myself for what I achieved and that I got to the top and that everybody was safe and that we had no major medical disasters Wow I think that is it's so valuable that you did these things because uh, sorry the voice notes because I've as with all traumatic experiences I've kind of with hindsight I've kind of glossed over quite how <laughs> hard that is yeah. and how how um and I imagine you probably have too until you listen back to these yeah definitely and I'm like oh my god did I even have fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> I know, I know. When we met up recently, we were like, oh my God, it was so great. But we hadn't really listened to these voice messages, had we? No, I do remember it was really, really hard. And I think we do have to bear in mind it is a big, big, big day, isn't it? It breaks any of the rules of any of the mountain textbooks about safe ascent profiles. And it's dangerous, isn't it? So it's not surprising that you end up with that constellation of illness in a group of 30. And I think as well, you know, just hearing that bit at the end there where I'm saying, you know, it's the hardest thing I've ever done and it's sort of 15 hour day, etc. Like we never work for 15 hours. We don't mm. have shifts that are 15 hours long. Then at altitude, climbing a mountain. Sleep deprived. After, yeah, sleep deprived and looking after a group of like 30 people. That is mm. not EU working time directive compliant. <laughs> that is not compliant. It's not compliant with anything. Um, and it does make you wonder, like, why Why do we do that? Why do we continue to do these things? But it is, I mean, it is amazing. Summit nights are always punishing, aren't they? But they are worth it in a in an odd type of way. Um, it's type 2 fun for sure, isn't it? Definitely type 2 fun. And I think the bit for, I mean, it's obviously the common sense isn't it but trying to do your job as a medic and make good safe decisions and deliver maybe not good but safe clinical care when you're hypoxic cold and experiencing all the same things that your group are um, really does add another dimension to the challenge I think Um, and it definitely builds sort of tenacity and resilience doesn't it definitely definitely and it was good i think we had the option of calling a base camp medic back down in moshi um mm. i don't think i actually used that option at any point during the trip but if we needed no i don't know if you noticed there was only signal probably for a couple of hours in a week so i'm not sure <laughs> i'm yeah. not sure how, how useful that would have been but yeah the option was there i'm sure there'd have been the locals might have known where we could get signal and we were relying on the guides and the porters for phone signal, um, mm. which I think is half of, they didn't have radios or, or anything like that um, to sort mm. of speak to each other. So um, when I was mentioning about like one bit, of, one part of my group got unwell, but I wasn't told about it um, mm. until actually when we were back down from the summit, um, that was one of the things that I reflected that we could have done a bit better was the communication between the sort of different fragments of my group. Cause I was only with one bit of the group. Mm. I had no idea what was going on with the other bits of the group. And I was relying completely on the porters and the guides to tell me, mm. um, which that, didn't happen. That was a challenge for me. I think I, um, as I mentioned earlier was with the slower group and we, the group split into two and the front group had a really kind of dynamic we could we could hear them at the front they were singing there was lots of singing excited chat and I was with a the slower group at the back who were obviously struggling uh, which meant that it was um, a far slower pace and lots more breaks and I actually found that really hard as um, I found really regular breaks which is what some of the group wanted um, for me were challenging so I got cold I'm I'm a skinny little runt um so actually stopping every few minutes for me was a bit of a disaster I was sort of having to do star jumps to 
keep warm and they yeah i mean i was wearing trip... two down jackets i was wearing everything i owned <laughs> I yeah my body it was so cold well it was taking every last ounce of my energy to be like encouraging and motivating because we were going so slowly um and i could see the group up in front having you know loads of fun and i was determined that uh you know that's part of the role isn't it the the mental um support and the motivation so i was trying to g up this group but you know they were obviously very down in the dumps um yes i was trying to g them up and i was probably being incredibly annoying but being very sort of bouncy trying to get them singing and it was uh definitely falling on deaf ears but i was talking about the kind of motivation of the sunrise and how they were gonna feel amazing and to be honest the morale in the group changes so much when that sun peaks over and suddenly you're um it's not even the bit when it starts getting light it's when you feel the sun on your skin and you start feeling warm and it felt yeah. for me like quite a kind of emotional experience i was like i'm actually gonna summit kilimanjaro wow yeah. there's the doctor what a dream <laughs> Definitely um, when we get to that stellar point and then we started seeing the sunrise and you could feel mm. the warmth on your skin and the starts getting a bit lighter and you can actually see where you're going because i found half the struggle was you're just following a trail of headlamps up a black slope mm. and you just yeah. see how high the slope <laughs> was when it stopped and when it was never ending you know but it was it does feel thing. never ending it was an emotional moment when the sun started coming up it really was it was when it was pitch black i remember not really being able to tell whether the stars were also headlights and i was like uh, sorry headlamps and i was thinking i we are we've got so far to go and i was like oh no they are stars it's okay you don't have to climb into a galaxy it's okay yeah, it just I feels like the it same thing um and yeah i think the tone in your group was definitely similar to mine who were all kind of hating life at this point <laughs> so they, were, they were falling asleep on their feet but still walking uh, sort of staggering around the place uh, later found out hallucinating uh, dead teammates. <laughs> yeah. Not, not the ideal vibe. Um, so... no, mine had nicer hallucinations. They they hallucinated. Um, one of them was hallucinating about all of the boulders being golden retrievers. Oh, lovely. Yeah, it's quite nice, isn't it? Nice, it's not yeah. a bad hallucination. It's better than corpses. I think I definitely didn't have it in me at that point to be chirpy and bubbly and sort of motivating. I mean, the best I could manage was uh, a sort of shout at them and be like, does anyone want to go down? And they were like, no, no. I was like, does anyone want to go down? And they were like, no. I was like, okay, good. That, um, <laughs> negative motivation. That's what we're going for. Um, that's quite good. And uh, yeah, and I was, I was like trying to concentrate on not puking. Uh, most of the way on Danzatron really works. Yeah, kind of on Danzatron now. Completely. That that trio you mentioned in your voice clip. Uh, yeah, paracetamol, ibuprofen on Danzatron. I don't think I'd have got to the top without that. Well, I would, but there would have been a lot of vomiting. I think. Yeah, and I, um, I made sure that my team had paracetamol on Danzatron and ibuprofen themselves. Like, so mm. I think it was one of the previous medics had given us this tip to give out on Danzatron the night before. So give them a pill in the pocket type thing. Um, I did I that too. We called That's it the party nice pack. The party pack. The party pack. Yep. They loved it. Um, oh, I was actually, I'd, as I say, it was probably falling on deaf ears. But um, I found in terms of the managing the breathlessness that um, any altitude trip I've done since, I've always used breathing techniques and it even though when you start trying to tell people they think you're a sort of new age hippie weirdo it does help so much if you're trying to like uh yeah force air in and you the way you were i actually i remember really like narrowing you've got so much time to think i remember narrowing my um lips thinking like i'm gonna give myself some peep to um maximize <laughs> Yeah, maximise my gas exchange. And I was like, thinking, I'm going to you... be a pink puffer. That's yeah, what I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly that. Um, I but... remember the group who was doing Wim Hof techniques. Um, uh, did it help? He thinks it helped, yeah. yeah. I, I think breathing techniques work, definitely. Um, maybe also associated with Ondanzatron and two pain relief pain relievers i found it really hard to keep track of who had had what when as well so mm. um i was very reliant on like right 
what time did you have that paracetamol? Because when you've got like 25 group members and there was mm. no chance for me taking gloves off to make notes of what time people had. And like, it was too cold for my phone to work. So there was no chance of any of that happening. So mm. I was very reliant on people remembering what time they'd had paracetamol and ibuprofen on Dantron, et cetera. Definitely. And that, uh, I think you mentioned being slightly irritated with um, some of the porters for not sort of letting you know about how unwell some people were until they got back down. So I remember our slower group getting to the top and then uh, porters sort of carrying or manhandling two, two of the group down sort of attached to oxygen. And I was thinking, these are the people I really need to know about, but they were, they were not bothered. The, they sort of sprinted past me and, um, and then they were sort of recovering anyway. Yeah, it was, all quite all quite stressful but i did i said to the, the guide that was nearest to me like i i need to know about people who are unwell and he was like no no they'll be fine they'll be fine um which is as your patients get whizzed downhill past you is not necessarily what you want to hear but they did um everyone perked up so i was told <laughs> if anyone was particularly unwell the group would have known but it is slightly anxiety inducing it. no, no, it's I mean, not good obviously they've done it many times before and they probably like they all recognize the signs and you know they know what to do you know put people in oxygen and get them down the hill but um mm. it's if you're i don't know if it's i feel slightly obsolete if they're doing that or it's like you know i'm actually meant to be responsible uh mm. for this element of things and I can only do something about it if you tell me about it. Uh, so Yeah, that's it. And I think they said they'd, because I'd checked the kind of communication path between the two groups and they, they did have, um, they did have phones and they said there was signal, but um, I don't think to them that, that if they do that, you know, every few weeks, I don't think it seemed abnormal. So it's just, they're so, so used to taking someone down a few hundred meters and watching them recover. I don't think they even let the medic necessarily know unless they don't recover with descent, which is, yeah, scary, but they're probably so used to doing it, as you say, without a medic. Mm. And then we're going to have to discuss the descent, that scree. Oh, <laughs> my God. Of, you know what? The descent wasn't, I wasn't that the ascent I hated but the descent I was like oh cool like hard bits done like now I just have to get down the mountain oh I I think mine was the other way around I quite in a sadistic way enjoyed quite a lot of the ascent but the descent on the scree I think um I was with my same group who'd had enough of being on Kilimanjaro by that stage and one of them refused to walk any further and said that we needed to get her a helicopter and I obviously was not prepared to get a helicopter for somebody who was fully capable of walking, but just refusing. Uh, so there was a lot of persuasion and, well, every type of communication strategy in my in my armory to try and um, encourage her down the mountain. Very much, <laughs> I, I don't think my patience would have worn that, it lasted that long. I think <laughs> I would have been very much like, right. It was, I think, I think I was firm by the end. Yeah, um, I remember but... you saying to me actually. You said that you think that maybe you'd started things um, being too approachable. Uh, uh, yeah, and you were sort of like, yeah, yeah there's definitely a... problems, and 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 then they kind of loaded you up with way too much work and, and things that they probably could have dealt with themselves, and they became quite reliant on you. Um, yeah, I think I fell into that trap, and I think that was my first um, proper trip and I think I think I fell into all the traps that people tell you about and um yeah and I think then it's since then I've sort of learned a lot of those things that actually it's really important um that people do take kind of ownership of their own health like they would at home rather than um going into a sort of almost childlike mode where uh, because there's a medic there they don't need to look after themselves in any way because actually um a it makes it harder for you but b it means that you know if they're not taking ownership of their health it's far far harder to keep them healthy for the duration of the trip so so you had you managed to persuade your your person to keep going and uh not not require a helicopter yeah we did it doesn't exist on killy anyway does it not a thing no that's true that's true um and yeah and then i remember so probably the hardest bit of the trip for me um yours was the ascent by the sounds of it mine was when we got back to camp there was um as soon we got there very well me and my slower group got there 
probably a few hours after the others um, and got back and suddenly got approached by the tent mates of five different sort of tents. So five people needed urgent medical reviews. And I was thinking, oh, don't cry, Francis. <laughs> I was thinking, I am exhausted. And I, because we've been in the sun for so long, much longer than probably other people because we've been so slow, uh, I had a thumping headache, I'd run out of water, I was probably very dehydrated, I hadn't had enough to eat um, because lots of my snacks froze. Turns out Mars bars are quite hard to gnaw on when oh, they're frozen nature solid. Nature Valley bars, the same. I had a Nature Valley bar that wasn't good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... Um, got back and all of these people needed reviewing and as I say it was my first big trip so I even though I felt dreadful I didn't go and eat anything I'd went to go and see them straight away Uh, and actually in hindsight all of them just had the same as me they'd had too much sun they hadn't drunk enough um, and they'd had probably a big change in altitude and essentially I told all of them after quite a thorough review that they needed to drink two liters of water some electrolytes they needed to eat something and they needed some pain relief um but actually that's exactly what i needed too and in uh, subsequent trips since since then i would now um treat myself before i go and see those people because it's uh actually the decisions i'd have been making at that stage i really did have a thumping head and i did not feel good and i mm-hmm. think uh if somebody had been truly unwell then possibly i'd have missed it because i wasn't in the right frame of mind to be making good sensible medical decisions and that was a kind of good illustration of why you need to look after yourself I think to me yeah a hundred percent and I think that's a lesson that I've brought back to uh real life in real life in the the emergency (laughs) department it feels like it's a dream and then you come back to real life and you have to go back to work um but is that we are very prone to putting patients before ourselves you know uh we I think we pretty much all do that. Um, we will go without a break. We will go without peeing. We will, mm. you know, um, take that extra shift to help our colleagues out or help, you know, help the department out. And we often do it at our own expense. Uh, and that is not sustainable um, over a no. year. And I think it gets really magnified on an expedition where, you know, mm. you, you are struggling, you know, physically and mentally yourself. But those kind of principles uh, and bringing that back to your day job uh, is really important as well. And you already mentioned it just improves resilience, too, I think, because you're you're more aware of what you can do and what you're capable of and what your limits are and and Mm. kind of what you need to survive and thrive, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's really well put. Um, So, yeah, I can see in your notes that you've put the descent was grim. (laughs) (laughs) I know, always always an eloquent writer. Yes, it was grim. I just, yeah, it felt like hours, well, it was hours and hours of scree. Um, But I think probably my mindset then, I think I'd I'd probably exhausted my my bucket of patience by that stage and probably needed that bit of time to myself we talked about by that stage. Yeah, and there's very few things that are actually truly urgent or emergency type Exactly. Um, yeah, so I did have one slight emergency, I suppose, on the way down, which was um, one of the group collapsed. Uh, oh. Yeah, not not good. Um, and then I went over, we're on a scree slope coming down a hill, and she'd been doing mm. okay, but she said that she had seen a couple of black spots in her vision kind of transiently. And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound too good. Mm. Um, but she'd eaten enough, she'd drank enough, and then, um, yeah, she just collapsed and went over, sort of did my sort of primary survey, ABCDE type thing, um, established that she was breathing and she was talking and she was following commands and she'd just had a bit of a fainting episode. So I put, I, she was kind of on the slope with her head up the slope I rotated her and I put her head down the slope so I had a ready made uh, tilt which was great using the scree um, using the scree uh got some blood back to her brain and she came around and, and she was she was okay it's a matter of seconds really um and all of the other group members were sort of watching this happen and then I sent her down the mountain with a couple of porters to help her down um and they were like wow like that was amazing it's like you're a real doctor <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what did you think that I did? 
<laughs> you just put that stethoscope around your neck yeah yeah it's quite funny um yes yeah, so then we get we get back down the mountain and oh i i cried at the top so you may have cried at the bottom or not mm. cried at the bottom but i cried at the top uh and that's the first mountain i've ever cried at the top of. i um mm. i got up there and like i said i was feeling so bad like I genuinely think my heart rate was like 180. I was so short of breath and I had so like chest tightness, chest pain. Um, and yeah, then got to the top and like touched the little wooden bracket thing that says a Huru Peak on it. And I was like, oh my God, like I, there was moments when I definitely thought I wasn't going to make it to the top here. Um, and this is mm. a massive achievement. And yeah, cried. It and is a massive achievement. Hypoxia does that to the brain. Makes you emotional and crazy and, uh, yeah, but uh, it was a big achievement, so I was super, super pleased to get there. Yeah, and it absolutely is, isn't it? And also, I think it's never a given as the doctor, is it, that you're going to make it to the top. So it does feel like a kind of double win. If your group are safe and well, and you also manage to summit, that's a very good trip, isn't it? That is. And we'd heard, I think, about other doctors not making it to the top already mm. um, from previous groups. So, yeah, we knew it definitely wasn't a given. Um and then we get down the mountain and we do our porter's <laughs> tipping ceremony and we have a beer oh, at the bottom. Wasn't um, that lovely? Yeah, Very hot great. beer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised really. Um, and everybody kind of spirits get lifted, don't they? And everybody kind of has a nice little celebration in the evening. You had your emergency oh, medical tuk-tuk ride. Emergency tuk-tuk ride. Yeah. yeah Only the yeah. best. So what do we think we've learned from Killy? So I think we definitely have mentioned probably the most the most important, which is, well, the most important for all future trips, which I think both of us felt, um, and it is such a cliche, but I think when you experience it, you realise why every senior doctor tells you uh, that you do have to, if you're going to provide good quality, safe medical care, then you definitely do need to, like, always look after yourself first unless and you know make sure you're fed watered um in that in case of a headache paracetamol um and the only cases where you're probably not going to do that are the real life-threatening emergencies and thankfully they're pretty rare aren't they and that's what this is the same as what they tell you in ed isn't it like actually the only times that you can't have a break is not when the ambulance queue is huge it's like if there is actually multiple resus life-threatening illnesses which need you there now but any other circumstance you can take your break on time and you should it's always going to be as bad as it always seems to be in ed you know what i mean that like the the list never gets smaller the weight never gets shorter mm. um it's always bad uh and but we love it we love it. We love it for some reason. We're obviously type two fun people. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's looking after yourself is number one, isn't it? And I think that was definitely my takeaway from Kelly as well is that, um, and actually Mountain Rescue really emphasised this uh, in their teaching is that you look after yourself, then you look mm. after your patient. Uh, no, sorry, self, then team, then patient. Um, and I think that's a really helpful framework in thinking about um your priorities as an expedition medic because there is a tendency to think that i need to be the hero i need yeah, to be yeah, one yeah. that's strong and that's like listening uh, looking after everybody else and that i can't be seen to be weak or, or or struggling or anything like that because i'm i'm the uh, the hero caregiver um i've got to be there for my group all the time <laughs> yes <laughs> but actually that's not true and i guess so i've got two final questions which are going to be what advice would you have for a medic that's climbing Killy? And would you do it again? Oh, good ones. So I'm going to give a lighthearted answer, but it actually is genuinely true. Constipation happens on Kilimanjaro. <laughs> Constipation <laughs> happens in Africa. And now my medical kit is an entirely different kit. So prepare yourself for both aspects of a bowel pathology and would I do it again yes hands down I absolutely would I think we've hopefully I painted a realistic not too negative picture I hope because there's some soaring highs aren't there it's just really really hard so I definitely would do it again and it was offered to me uh, only a couple of months after coming back and I think it was to you as well uh, and I wasn't quite over <laughs> 
<laughs> the physical and mental trauma of Kilimanjaro at that stage. So the answer is yes, I would do it again and I will do it again. I have no doubt. Um, but I'd like to choose, I'd like to try a different route for interest and also for altitude. You know, the more I know about altitude medicine, uh, the less sensible that route of Kilimanjaro seems. So I'd like to try a longer and different route. But yes, hands down, I would do it again. It's an amazing mountain. How about you? Yes. Uh, I, again, yeah, like you said, we were offered a, a trip a couple of weeks or months after. And I was like, it's too soon. I'm not over the trauma yet. <laughs> Um, so yes I would do it again but I, I wouldn't I don't think I would do the Machame route I think I would quite like to try the Lemosho route I think that looks mm. cool uh, I think that's like seven days something like that um, and I think I feel a lot better prepared uh, as, a, as an expedition medic now going into it I think it's not that long ago that we did it but you know it was definitely a bit of a trial by fire uh because we we're both quite green at the time um but now i feel a little bit more um yeah ready for it um so yeah mm, we'll do it again me too. um and then advice for any budding medics going up killy it is a great experience i think we've, we've probably maybe seemed quite negative but um hopefully yeah. realistic yeah, I mean, we've mentioned, you know, the most beautiful views of the Milky Way, gorgeous sunsets over the mountain above the clouds, um, that kind of high when you get to Stellar Point and the sun rises and you realise you're going to make it. Um, mm. And the achievement of, of getting to the top and keeping everybody safe and the kind of team aspects of it as well, the team bonding, seeing everybody getting on well, looking after each other, nice aspects of humanity to see in a tough situation. Um, I I also think that um, if we if there's been some sort of negative aspects, I think it's because there's some of these things we've discussed are what I wanted to know before I went up. And actually, so hopefully people listening to this who are about to go up Kilimanjaro or apply for jobs doing it will be kind of better prepared for a more realistic, um, yeah, more realistic ascent. Yeah, definitely. I hope so. Uh, like you said at the beginning, there wasn't a lot out there when we went up. Uh, the, a lot of resources for medics going up Kelly, but there are some really good resources out there now. Hopefully this podcast is one of them and we've not just sort of rambled and nattered and giggled too much. Um, Woo. But I would also point you in the direction of the UIAA, um, so the International Federation for Climbing and Alpinism. They've got a series of... Uh, documents but there's specific medical advice about some mountains in the world so there's one on Kili and there's also one on Aconcagua and I think there's one on Mira Peak might be might be Island Peak but also um on their website so I definitely point you in, in the direction of those they're very useful very practical advice um and there's some good guidance on there for altitude uh, medicine as well um of course there's lots of other good stuff on the WEM Academy and the WEM website and keep an eye out for the Kilimanjaro medical briefing blog and I'm hoping there's going to be another podcast about Kilimanjaro um, with Dr Jeremy Windsor uh, who is the author of the UIAA uh, safety and success on Kilimanjaro uh, paper. Awesome. Any final thoughts Francis? No thank you so much for having me it's an absolute privilege and thank I you. hope we'll be on a mountain somewhere again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for giving up your time, coming on the podcast, having a good chat through and reminiscing about our time on Kelly. Anytime. Thank you so much, Fionn. Thanks for listening to the episode. Please feel free to rate, review and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to. Please also head over to the World Extreme Medicine website where you can find more engaging content on extreme medicine webinars and indeed the collection of courses from our global network, including humanitarian, disaster relief, expedition, space, military, tactical and performance medicine. Thanks again.